0: Belly up to the 9-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. And this is Socks in the Basement, the uh, the day after. As the White Sox season ends, and it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions, give them a call 24-7 at 708-330-4466, or visit them at familydry.com. Mention Socks in the Basement, you get money off. I'm going to struggle throughout this entire show.
1: Well, I was going to say it's it's right, because the way you said that, Socks in the Basement the day after, sounds like a made-for-TV movie sequel, where for some reason you're being played by Skeet Ulrich and we're not supposed to notice. Right,
0: right. I mean, look, there's a reason that we didn't sit down after Game 4, and make sure there was a show out on Wednesday morning, which I think a lot of people expected, and I apologize for that.
1: Because you followed your sister's advice on Twitter and stopped tweeting and started drinking heavily?
0: Yes, that's exactly what happened. Look, <laughs> we're sitting there, we're watching this game. It's a disaster, Game 4. And now I, I get angry, like any other fan. I didn't like a move that Tony made. And a fan of this show tweeted back at me like that I've been waiting all year... To find something wrong with Larusa, and And I was mad about that. And I tweeted back, no, that's, that's not true. And I called him a name. And, that, and at that point, my sister was like, put your put your phone down and start drinking. Because yeah, this is just rage. And you're going to get into arguments with people over stupid stuff. And everybody's angry. And every fan is angry. And this is just one of those moments oh, where yeah. nobody's going to get along. And do you really want to get in meaningless fights with people. And, and, I, and I'll be honest. I woke up the next morning feeling bad that I even shot back something at the guy. Especially if he's a loyal listener. I know radio people don't care if they lose a listener here or there. I care about everybody who listens to us because they're fans just like we are. But I will tell you this, I, I just didn't believe in what that guy said. I, look, we had a we, my original co-host on the show for two years, Dave, you know, who I grew up across the street from, lost his mind when Tony LaRusso was hired. He's not on the show anymore because I couldn't put up with it. I couldn't put up with the negativity of the fact that he was just going to make every show I hate Tony. And we're friends. So we had a conversation about it, and he's not in the show anymore because he couldn't get over it and I feel like I gave Tony an awful lot this year and we didn't lose this series because of Tony Larusa. not at all we I still think we lost game two because of Tony Larusa.
1: absolutely yeah <laughs> but not not the whole series not not by a long shot the, Tony didn't screw this series up you know in total but yeah one game he cost game two but I, I saw the some of the same vitriol yesterday where it's it's you know why Why did we hire Tony? A.J. Hinch would have been better, stuff like that. But, you know, but it's it's that's not reality.
0: This team was not good enough to win a World Series, and I think their performance in Game 1 and their performance in Game 4 made me feel like even if Tony would have pushed all the right buttons in Game 2 and done what I wanted him to do in Game 2 and not lost Game 2, that 2-2 going back to Houston, we would have lost. And if we wouldn't have lost there, we would have eventually lost.
1: Well, I, I think I think they could have hung with the Red Sox. But my my big question coming out of yesterday for a game five was: Let's say that they they win that game and they come back. I was looking at game five, going unless Lucas Giolito has the game of his life in a game five. Where's this team going? Because there's there's nobody left in the pen except for Ruiz and Lopez. Right. Those, those are the only two guys that didn't get used. I, and and are you really expecting? as I'm sitting there watching, you know, even when they're they're still close, they're still within one swing as 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 A.J. and Ueno, and, you know, we can talk about people's hatred of the uh, Fox Sports 1 broadcast, but, you know, as they're talking about being within one swing still, I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, but you're going to go back to Houston with Giolito, who I was starting to develop a problem with in Game 2 a little bit, the way he was pitching, and then you're backing him up with Lance Lynn, who is going to have problems with the Astros lineup if he's coming out of the bullpen or if he's starting. Right. Or you're backing him up with Lopez and Ruiz, or you're running out the same guys, Hendricks and Kimbrell and Crochet and Kopech again and again and again and again, and the Astros are going to pick up on that. So
0: they were not a team of destiny. Like, first of all, let me finish up the thought that I was trying to have there. There's a reason why I waited. I waited because I was angry yesterday and I was waited. I waited because I was drinking yesterday and I waited because my voice was shot yesterday and it's still shot today because I screamed my throat out for two nights at that ballpark trying to will that team to victory like many other people did. And the Game 3 crowd was insane. The Game 4 crowd tried their best, but there were empty seats because of the rain delay and it being during a work week. And there were people that couldn't make it and weren't able to sell their seats. And, you know, it, it didn't have the same feeling going on during the day, but none of that stuff really affects the play on the field. Look, you have a team that's very talented that went through a rebuild and became a contending team and they're good enough to win a division every year for the next 4 or 5 years. They're going to have a tough time. Detroit's going to get better next year. You don't think Minnesota's just going away. They they're, they're going to it's going to be difficult just to get back to this point, but they're fully capable of doing it. But watching the game and sitting there through that series and and even before the comeback in game 3, I'm sitting with in my mind she's she's like my most calming influence, my sister. Gina Linuti, my younger sister, sitting next to me, first of all, is hysterical during a White Sox game. Oh, my gosh, and when she gets angry, I and mean, when she's yelling, I mean, it was just, she was, I mean, she had this section laughing multiple times throughout the game, especially when they were losing in game three and definitely during game four when things are going wrong. And But she's also a very calming influence on me, and, and she's, she looked at the game, and she said something that I was like, yeah, I got to say that on my show. Did this team at any point make you feel like you felt about the team that won a World Series. And that's not a go back to 1985 and compare this team like you compare every Bears team to the 85 Bears. No, 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 no. That is, you had a feeling watching a team that had a chance to win a World Series that actually went on and did it, that I didn't have about this team in that postseason series. The Astros felt like the better team. The Astros felt like they were always in control. And the Astros look like and feel like and act like a team that's been put together far better at least to this point than the White Sox, they're a better team. And I know I never at any point while I was watching it, sat there and said, I have the same feeling that I had an 05. And I think young, younger fans who might've been like, you know, nine or, you know, or like, you know, 13 or whatever, or young, young fans to this team may not get that. But I suffered through the 93 postseason as, you know, a teenager. And I watched the, uh, the 2000 postseason and, You know, I, of course, went through 08, which was very short, and then I also was a part of 05 as an adult, and there was only one time that I, I mean, I knew, you knew during the Red Sox series, right away, you felt it, that that team was special and was going to do the little things to win, and I never felt that fully with this team during this series. So I guess that's kind of that's that's my feelings finishing this up, Ed, and, I, and then we'll 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 go into a bunch of stuff. We got so much to cover. I got audio from Cork and Kerry at the park. We had a great time at the pregame, brought to you by Modelo, and we've got this thousand dollar giveaway that we're going to be doing all all off season long. We're going to talk about and James Fox. I caught up with him, and not only did we talk about the series at one point, and that's pregame three, but also what was going to happen if and when the White Sox got eliminated. So there's still good stuff there that we're going to play for you. But that was that was how I felt. Watching the team. If I had to give my God's honest opinion now, here at the end, really good team, very talented team. Rick Hahn has work to do. If you bring out the same thing next year, I expect the same result. There are things, and there's a reason why we'll be doing two shows a week throughout the offseason. We don't take a break like a lot of others do. And there's a lot to go into with this team over the next couple of weeks and months. And so much that I think Rick Hahn has to do. Because this team is still not the type of team that can win a World Series. There's better teams out there.
1: Well, I tweeted somewhere in the later innings, and it was somewhere between Kyle Tucker stealing second and third, and somewhere between Jose Altuve taking second base on a on a you know a a bad hop throw uh that, that Abreu the, the one where Abreu uh, you know missed the missed it at first base. That in 05... That was my feeling about the White Sox was that they were going to they were going to take the extra base. They were going to do the little things. they were going to execute something that was going to put them back in the game. And this team, I never felt like they were capable of that. They either needed to bomb the heck out of you like they did in game three, where they just go into destroy mode and start hitting the ball out of the ballpark and just crushing the ball and you know, executing every pitch perfectly, or they were going to struggle. And I felt that way about the team kind of a lot this year, but especially in the postseason, watching that, and I think it really. And I don't remember who I don't remember who tweeted it yesterday, but they said that Jose Altuve play was just a metaphor for the season, you know, or, or for the series. It was, you're right. You know, as a fan, I think sometimes when you've got a team that is capable of something, and you brought up the Bears and how we always compare back to '85. But even in 06 with the Bears, right? With with that team that goes to the Super Bowl and loses, you still had that feeling like something magical could happen because of, of certain aspects of that team. With the White Sox, really you felt like they were capable of having their talent go on a brilliant run and do something special, but it felt a little bit like a long shot that, you know, the talent was just gonna come through because you weren't gonna rely on to your point about construction, you weren't going to rely on Larry Legend to be Tadahito Iguchi. You were not going to rely on Caesar Hernandez to be the guy like a you know a, a Uribe who's going to come through and do something special, but just it's, it's just going to execute something good. And frankly, you know I I don't I didn't feel about this pitching staff the way I felt about the five staff walking into that postseason where you just kind of felt like those guys had it had it under control. We were questioning the, the starting pitching walking into the Astros series, and I think every every question that anybody ever posed, posed about whether or not these guys could come through, unfortunately, you know, the questions came true and not the answers that we were looking for.
0: Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from six to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115 year old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces and they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, Ed, I want to play you some audio from uh, the Cork and Carry at the park. We had a great time out there before game three. Game three was magical. Uh, for all the things that disappointed me this year, I mean, look, we won a division and game three was still one of the greatest sporting events that I've ever attended. I was like, I was at the world series. I was at the blackout game in 08. Um, I've seen other, I was at the NFC championship with the bears in 06. I mean, like I, I've seen these amazing moments where the crowd is just rabid. That was the most rabid crowd pace that I ever saw. Uh, again, my sister said it perfectly. She's like, this is like therapy. After coming out of like this pandemic and getting to the back end of it and just being angry about years of the rebuild and the way that things have just gone and, and, you know, it was just being able to scream and cheer and see your team like perform. It was one heck of a night and one hell of a crowd, uh, always with the best chance, always with just like the the best fire. Uh, It was maybe the greatest crowd I've ever watched. During a game like there's been moments in other games, maybe when Petsednik hits uh, the walk off in game two where the crowd is more lit. But for an entire game, that was the craziest crowd I've ever seen.
1: It came through and it came through on TV. I got to tell you, like you, you could tell sometimes you can sometimes you can tell the stadium is like, yeah, they just full. It's good. Like game four. Yeah. Uh, but but in game three, watching it on TV, as I was as I was unfortunately forced to do, uh, given some some circumstances here. I, uh, yeah, I I was looking at it and my jealousy was just raging that I wasn't there, but also it manifested itself in a way that if there are any questions nationwide that White Sox fans exist and that we are a hardcore dedicated fan base, play the tape of game three and tell me what you are seeing that suggests that we are not as big or as hardcore fan bases anywhere else in the major leagues. And even AJ Pruszynski had to say, he's like, these are some of the most diehard fans in the country. You know, you don't have to put up with it, Sox fans, anymore after a showing like that of somebody sitting here and saying that, you know, we're not as into this as Cubs fans or we are not as good as name any team other than, say, Tampa Bay where nobody cares, right? So we're, we're up there. We are up there. And that was a beautiful showcase.
0: Oh yeah, and, and the fact that I, I watched some of the replay the next day, and Fox was doing their best to actually tamper down the crowd. Uh, there were certain chants in there that it was pretty there were pretty dirty chance that were oh, thrown out yeah. there.
1: <laughs> there was some stuff. They 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 had to mute the crowd noise a little bit.
0: And listen, when people are yelling FL Tuve, there were two women next to me that looked like two 85-year-old nuns, and they were yelling it. There was an eight-year-old boy. On his father's shoulders and he was yelling it like it was 40,000 strong and they had to do their best to try to to tamper down what what fans were saying. But here's here's some audio before game three and I want to have some fun with it because we had all seen what happened in game two with Larry Garcia misplaying that ball and then he's announced as a starter in right field. We all know what he did in game three. But this is before game three at Cork and Kerry. But Carry. this is before
1: anybody knew what game three was going to, to hold for, for Leary. Right.
0: This is game three, right before game three at Cork and Kerry at the park. Here are a couple of fans that I caught up with. A, a massive crowd. Just a great time at our pre-party there. Brought to you by Modelo.
2: What's your name? Connor. Think that the team's going to rebound? What do you think? Uh, I think the team's going to rebound. Uh, but Tony, I don't know. Kopack should have been out there, I thought. Um...
0: Garcia, Garcia in right field that, over Angle, yeah. yeah. what
2: the heck? I had that routine fly ball, I thought. Yeah. That's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, Adam Angle puts that in his pocket, and that inning's over. Yeah, all day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Larry's starting today, by the way, in right. And and right, Angle's not playing. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't wow. understand it either,
2: man. Me neither. Wow. <laughs> God, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's rough. That's rough stuff. What's your
2: name, man? Hey, this is Tom. Tom paints on Twitter. Oh, Tom
0: paints <laughs> on Twitter, man. This is the guy that gave me this incredible Louis Robert painting he's been on the show before it's the first time we've met Tam. it is yeah it is yeah. what did you th- you know you you're out on the west coast you fly in you make these plans before you're you're you know that they're going to be down
2: O2. did you think about not coming not taking the flight or do you believe I mean I bought the insurance but I uh no I was going to come the whole time I was mad I went through my uh emotions and yeah but you know coming out for the blackout game I think it could change the series. So,
0: well, I'm asking yeah. this before Game Three, so we don't know how it's going to go. But what do you think about the fact that Larusa is doubling
2: down and putting Liari in right field to start today? Is he? Yeah. I don't. I, uh, no comment. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you can do that. I just. I don't just, know. I, don't I, don't understand know. It I feel sense. like at this point it's just being stubborn. But I. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look that. I didn't see that yet. I just got here. Um, I mean, it seems like. After last game, you just you gotta at least go with your strengths and at least go with Ingle and for his defense, that's that would make sense to me. Um, I mean, it's not like Leary brings a great bat or something that you can't miss. So I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I'll have opinions afterwards if it if it doesn't. So.
0: <laughs> and then of course Leary Garcia goes out and has uh, just a magical moment where he hits a three-run home run. In, in a the big boy three-run
1: home run, too. That was a very, 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 very hard hit ball. <laughs> and
0: I saw some funny things online. I mean, there was a guy who said right beforehand, if uh, Garcia hits a three-run home run here, I'll get uh, his name tattooed on me. And two seconds later, the home run happens, and he did. I saw it online. Guy got a Garcia yep. tattoo uh, with his number, calling him Leary Legend. Uh, on his, I want to say it was his leg. Cause he posted it on Twitter. There was the Twitter video of the guy who said, if he hits a home run right now, I'm going back and buying his Jersey. And as he's rounding second base, celebrating the guy who's taking the video shows this guy who just said it on camera. And the guy's like, I'm going right now. And he runs up the aisle laughing like a hyena. Like it was just like, I don't, <laughs> I'm so happy to be wrong. Right. Before he hit the home run, my sister goes, watch him hit a three run home run here. And I'm like, this guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just started laughing at her. And I was in mid laugh when he made connection on it. As it was heading out, I was like, I just kept saying, no way. I'm just I was like laughing and jeering at the same time. And then she's punching me in the arm. And it's it's black and blue. My shoulder's black and blue from my sister from that from that moment. She just smacked me so many times and laughed at me for saying he couldn't do it. I, I think every White Sox fan felt the exact same way. And he, he did <laughs> yeah. a he did a great job. And luckily he didn't make any more defensive miscues. But I will say this, Ed. The guy hit 250 in the series and he had a great moment. But if he's your everyday right fielder, you're not a World Series team.
1: No, no. He, he's we've. How many times are we going to say that if he's playing every day, you are going to expose him for what he is, which is a very, very valuable bench guy?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a great moment, but it doesn't take away the, the fact that game two gets away and he's one of the reasons because he was moved out in the right field. It's a great moment. He
1: right. he, he His three-run home run almost, in my mind, made up for game two because he, you know, misplaying that ball in right field in game two is really, it's inexcusable that he was out there, but also if you are going to be a major league right fielder, you got to make that play, right. and he can't do it. So it, they kept calling him the super utility guy in the broadcast on, on game four. And that's what he is. And and yeah, the three run home run is one of those things where a guy like that used as a bench piece spot starting because of a matchup reason, because he matches up well that night or he's in a pinch hitting role in that moment because he matches up well against that pitcher. You are going to have him have those moments because Larry Garcia is a very good player as a super utility guy, but you're already a right fielder. Holy cow, even the Pirates wouldn't do that.
0: What do you think that they need to do in the offseason? Because right off the top of my head, I'll tell you what that what I think they need to do in the offseason. Um, take Cesar Hernandez and fire him on a rocket into the sun. Do not pick up his his option. Do not assume no. Larry Garcia is your second baseman. And now you no. have to replace Nick Madrigal. You tried to replace a guy who was injured for the rest of the season with... You know, another second baseman, and you had to go deal with the fact that what were teams gonna want and what were you willing to give up, and that's fine. He was a band-aid, but now you he have was to band aid actually... who
1: cost you nothing. Remember that. Hernandez cost us nothing as a team.
0: Right. And, and but now that band aid is not the solution going forward. And you have to replace Nick Madrigal and you have to go out and spend money. Get ready, get your checkbook ready, Jerry. You got to go out and spend money because your team was not good enough to win a World Series and still is not good enough constructed the way it is. And you need to go attack that second base position and do something big. You have to figure out right field. There's a lot of different things you could think about doing. But man, I would love to have a veteran with playoff experience that doesn't doesn't shrink under the spotlight. Doesn't that,
1: wilt under the spotlight like, like half the White Sox lineup did?
0: That does the little things that you're talking about. You know, that you need to see on a team that wins like that kind of guy, you know, the Jermaine guy. I'm looking for him. I'm looking for that, that guy that's floating out there that, you know, might be attainable that you can go grab somebody that you think could bring something special to your team. I mean, I watched Michael Brantley scare the hell out of White Sox pitchers this entire series. Remember, he was a possibility. I watched Jock Peterson hit a three run home run and it was the only run scored. He basically was all the offense in a playoff game already this 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 postseason. And there's a guy that you wanted to go get. I mean more of that's on the fact that Jack thought he was worth more money and so we moved on to Adam Eaton. But there's there's another thing you have to do. And then I think I would say that I'm disappointed in White Sox pitching and I know we have a lot of guys under contract, but Steve Stone said it on the radio before game four. I heard him as I was driving in and he goes Michael Kopeck's throwing, not pitching. And he needs to learn how to pitch because anybody can hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball if it's got no life and you're not putting any finesse into it. So the assumption that he's just going to come into your rotation and be like a stud, there's things he needs to work on. I think Dylan Cease will improve. I still like Lucas Giolito. I'm fine with Lance Lynn out there. Dallas Keuchel, you're probably trying to move. But all of that aside, you may still need that ace because I didn't see anybody go out there and be an ace. Like, nobody was an ace. Lance McCullers was an ace. I had doubts about him, but guess what? Lance McCullers was an ace. We didn't have anybody like that. Nobody like yeah. that. So those are things that, you know, Rick Hahn now has this very good team, Ed, and he. we're through the rebuild, and now we're a competitive team. We're going to be a competitive team for a while, but now you can't be afraid to say, this guy that you might have bought his jersey, he's got to move because we've got to bring this other thing in. We've got to move payroll this way because the way it's constructed is not good enough to beat the Astros or the Dodgers or the Giants or whoever else is going to be out there that's going to have a world-class, World Series-capable team. And I think that's the next step. You can't just say, bring them all back next year exactly the way that it was.
3: He sucks in the basement, guys. Dean Lyle, he's probably not picking up the phone anymore. That season's over. But I thought I would call and get a couple things uh, off my mind before we go into the off offseason. Um, being at yesterday's game and being 20 rows up into the upper deck, I, uh, I got to say, yeah, it's my name Grandel, and I'm going to put the finger completely on him. Uh, I know he calls the pitches. I know the location comes from the bench, but he calls the pitches. And an 0 2 fastball to Korea made no sense. I mean, granted, um, Lois needs his location, but 0 2 fastball right there. puts us down 2 to 1. Next inning, Cook, that comes in. You got 3 0 pitch to Bregman. Everybody in his grandmother, with the exception of Grandel, knew he's swinging 3 0. Boom, there's the base. Now you're down 5 1. Game over. Uh, yeah, it's funny, Grandel, I like him. But I got to say, he suffers from Pudge Rodriguez syndrome, which is fastball, fastball, fastball. And I'm starting to wonder if that's the reason why L.A. and Milwaukee got rid of him so easily. Um, For the offseason, send Sheets and Vaughn to Winter Ball to just hammer home right field. And let those guys platoon big time for next year. I, I think you got right field solved. I
0: guess that's an idea. We'll talk about that here in one second, Ed. Anybody listening, first off, We're here all off-season, so call us whenever you want to. You want to vent? Go for it. You got ideas for next year? Go for it. 708-459-8406. It's always available. Just call, leave a message, or go to SocksInTheBasement.com. You can send us a typed comment, or you can hit the little microphone and leave us a voicemail that way as well from any kind of device. Well, not a rotary phone. That wouldn't work. But, you know, tablets, iPhone, you know what I'm talking about.
1: Let me take those in reverse order, and here's why. Uh, First of all, Vaughn and Sheets as a platoon, there's something really wrong here if Andrew Vaughn turns into a short-side platoon player. Uh, Vaughn needs to get better so that he can contribute, because he was a non-factor in this series in a way that you don't need him to be in the future. And, and, And he could be a guy that covers right field, but... As a right-handed batter, you cannot have that man platooning as as one of your high draft picks. Gavin Sheets is part of this lineup unless he becomes trade bait for something way bigger, but I think he proved himself. And I I have something to say not just about Yaz's pitch calling, but about the pitching in general that I noticed in this series. And, you know, I I think I need a little bit more time to get into that. So maybe like uh let's talk to James Fox. And then we'll come back to that.
0: <laughs> That's good. We could talk to James Fox. And we were out at Cork and Carey at the park. And Cork and Carry, first of all, just wonderful host with us uh, at 33rd in Princeton. Madelo brought us there uh for pregame. And it was it was lively. I can't I can't lie about how lively it was. It was insane. I showed up and it was already pretty much packed because of the Bears game. And then when we got going, they were out into the street. And there were just so many different fans that were there. So many people came up and you know. Had nice things to say about listening to the show all season long and over the years, and I really appreciate all that, and all the Socks in the Basement listeners. We gave away a bunch of hats and koozies and stuff, and then we gave away uh, different items from Modelo, which was really nice of them to provide shirts and hats and things to give away as well. We had a great time out there, and the season may be over, but Cork and Carrie at the Park still exists. They've got a, a great bar there with a great menu, and you can rent it out for parties. And also, do not forget about their location in Beverly as well. Check them out at corkandcary.com and you can actually link up to their Beverly location or Cork and Carrie at the park from that web address. And remember, they're over there at 33rd and Princeton. Great time. Uh, I just, I, I cannot say enough about how much I enjoy working with all of our sponsors and all the people that run, you know, ads on this show. But Cork and Carry it really just knocked it out of the park before game three. And even after game four, it was the spot to be. Like, I don't think they planned on shutting the street down but it became like the place that everybody went to afterwards. And there was just a massive crowd after game four kind of drowning their sorrows and getting it out of their system. And uh, it it is a Southside tradition and you should always make it part of your plans. When you head down to the ballpark, we talked with James Fox out there from future socks. He's on all the time. He's been on the show since the beginning as one of our regular guests. I caught up with him before game three again. So you're going to hear us kind of make fun of the fact that Leary Garcia is going in at right field, which is I get a kick out of after you find out what he does in game three. You know, we, none of us are perfect with our prognostications. We're fans. Uh, but then we also talk a little bit about the future of this team, if and when it all ends. And now, as we know, we're into the off season, and here it is. You've heard him so many times on Sox in the basement. He's been recognized already. I was like, let's get a beer, James. And uh, we walk in and right away, a guy's like, oh, I follow you on Twitter. Like, just surprised you. You're like a celebrity these days. James Fox is on here. How are you, buddy? Well, I'm good. It was a nice, easy ride up here. It was fun. Yeah, and you brought your lovely wife with you as well, and you are got a, got a day away from the kid, and you're getting ready to watch a blackout game.
4: Got a Modelo in hand already. I'm ready to
0: go. Yeah, exactly. All right, so what do you think? I, you know, mean, this is before the game, so people are going to hear your opinion after it's all over. And so, like, you know, you're gonna, you, you could sound like a genius here or sound ridiculous. But I mean, like, what do you think about the first two games? Why don't I get your impressions on that so far? What yeah. overall? What did you feel after the first two games?
4: I mean, not great. I mean, you know, like, I, I'm the type. I don't really predict the playoffs because of variance and like how, how it goes. You know, I think the Astros have clearly been the better team through two games. Um, your pitching's failed you your managers failed you you know i think i put on twitter it's not all tony larousse's fault but like we were told that you know this stuff wasn't going to happen again and it's a lot of it's kind of happening again you know so like i think ricky Renteria was fired for less egregious mistakes than tony's made in the first two games and uh larry garcia's playing again of course in right field yeah so look they're they're a much different team at home i do expect them to win you know, I don't know if they can get it to a game five, but at this point, that's what, you know. Like, I heard some craziness, like, you know, our defeatist fan base, like, oh, just lose tonight and get it over with. Like, no, that's stupid. Like, get me to a game five. Like, if you lose losing game five in Houston, fine. You put up a fight. This isn't the only playoff series, you know, that we're going to see over the next five or six years. So, you know, while it was disappointing not taking one in Houston, you know, you're home, and all you can do is win today's baseball game. So I think that's going to be their attitude.
0: Who impressed you the most? I know with future sacks, you saw a lot of these guys come up, a lot of them. I mean, Luis Robert has been the one that stood out to me. But, I mean, who's who's impressed you the most in the first two games? That you're like, he's a, he's a gamer, and he's doing some good stuff out there.
4: Uh, Michael Kobeck. Oh, wait, Tony hasn't used him yet. <laughs> um, yeah. He's Lu- saving him. No, I think you're right. <laughs> Luis, Luis Robert's freaking a star, you know. I mean, even... It was like kind of anybody you talked to that had seen him that we covered was like, you know, this is like a, a mutant, basically. And they're right. I mean, this is, what, it's like an eight or nine war season, I think, like extrapolated over 162 had he played it. I mean, I think we have a legit superstar that we're going to watch in center field for a long time. Looked completely unfazed. One of the only guys that looked completely unfazed in Houston, you know, just racking up hits. So I think it's him. Um, you know, the pitchers the pitchers kind of let him down, right? So I think it's... Probably Luis Robert at this point um, is the easy answer. And it's not, you know, it's not a future socks thing, but Liam Hendricks was, I mean, that's what you paid for. I mean, that dude has just been freaking nails in the second half. And he came in in a non-save situation, obviously, but he was nails again. So that's, you know, that and the Grandall signing are on the positive side of the ledger for the pro scouting department for sure.
0: Do you think Aloy is just not 100% or he just didn't get enough at bats and that's why he's not the Aloy that we saw last year in the postseason? I mean, do you think that this is just, like, this is a blip the way that he's playing
4: right now? I hope so because he can't be this guy if he's also going to, like, not defend, right? So, I mean, he's got a mash. And if it is just, you know, he didn't have a spring training and now he's kind of pressing a little bit because, yeah, I mean, he looks kind of bad. So I hope so. I hope that's all it is. Um, They need him, but they have enough guys to where, like, if he's not great, like they should, you know, they should still be fine, right? So, yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't look the same. That's that's totally for sure. But maybe, home, you know, they're at home, man. They're so different here. And even like we came to the Houston series here, and they won two of those three games, and it was man, you know, even, uh, you know, like the other day, like game two, like they went up four two, man. I thought I'm like okay, like I thought they had it, like I thought they were gonna steal a game, and then, you know, you just gotta stop walking people. It's not what you asked me, but, you know, you just, you <laughs> you cannot walk people, and especially this Houston team, man, they will just kill you. Like, if you make any mistakes, you're done, because they just don't stop, ever.
0: We talk to you all the time, and I'm going to let you go, but one last thing I want to ask you is something that we're going to ask you about, uh, I'm sure, in the coming months. And I want Sox and five, and then they just still continue to run through this, and I don't want to start the off season for a long time. But when it starts, I always ask you this question, like, are they going to go do something? Yeah, I, I would imagine they, they change what's going on at second base at a minimum, and they have other things they got to do this off season. I mean, it's not they're not going to sit there and say we're tapped out of money, are they?
4: I mean, I hope not, but the payroll's high. Like, I mean, the payroll's pushing 160 million. I praise Jerry for the you know for the Kimbrel move that hasn't worked. So I mean, like they've spent, but the problem is they need to keep spending. I mean, they need a right fielder, they need a second baseman. You know, you need resolution on Carlos Rodon. Dallas Keigel's on the team making too much money. You know. I think in a perfect world, you trade Kimbrel to somebody and clear that space, and then maybe you take a bad contract outfielder in return for Keuchel, and then you use the savings to go get like what you need. You know? I think they're going to have to be creative. But they definitely can't run it back, like you said. I mean, they've they've need they've needed left-handed bats. They still need left-handed bats. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, I, I don't think it's going to be the second baseman next year. So you have a hole there, right? And it wasn't as much for me. Like we've talked about this, like trading Nick Madrigal. Like I don't think they're going to miss Nick Madrigal. But like you you still have to like replace that spot, right? And I don't think I don't think they'll decline Kimbrel. But I also I'm not positive that he'll be on the team either. So I think if you pick him up. You can probably trade a $16 million option, you know. Dave Dombrowski, hopefully, on line one with Philly, you know. So, yeah, I mean, they, do. they got they got a lot to do. They're gonna move Kopech into the rotation, but similar to the Carlos Rodon, you know, thing this year, he's gonna be tapped out early next year. So, you're gonna need another starter even there. So, yeah, I mean, they gotta they have to be active, and uh, you know, I think you'll see stuff right after the World Series. But then, if there's no CBA, which I'm sure we'll talk about all winter, it could be—I mean, it could be a while before they do the heavy lifting. So, James Fox, enjoy uh, the Cork and Carey at the Park pregame and the blackout game. Yeah, thanks for having me. It looks like everybody's going to have a fun time down here.
0: Good stuff from James there again. A great time over at Cork and Carey at the Park, and and you wanted to talk a little bit about the pitching, which in reality really just let us down. I don't know if we just aren't good enough. I don't know if we didn't have a good enough plan. I don't know it what happened there, was... but it was bad.
1: Exposed the, the, the pitching was exposed in this series, and it may be as, as as our listener pointed out there, it might be Yaz's game calling, it might be game planning from the bench. I don't know because we're not connected enough for us to ever really know that. And you know, something Ryan Topara said, not not the whole cheating thing, we can throw that aside, but something Ryan Topara said about you know, if we're executing our pitches perfectly were hard to hit, but that's a really narrow margin. Okay. So the the problem where the pitching got exposed was also related to what Steve Stone said about Michael Kopech throwing and not pitching. None of the White Sox pitchers really pitched at all in this series. What they were doing was they were falling back on really bad, predictable habits. They were very, very patternized. I don't care what the Astros did to cheat in 2017. They didn't need a garbage can to figure out what the White Sox plans were. And Carlos Correa's post-game comments is what cemented it for me because he was asked specifically about that double, that that fastball that Rodon threw. And he said, look, it didn't take us very long in the dugout to figure out that Rodon was, wanted to thump his chest with that fastball, and that's all he was using to get guys out. So that was it. It, it took him one time through the the lineup. For them to figure out what Rodon's pattern was, which was he was using the slider to set up the fastball. He wanted the fastball as the outpitch because he had found his velocity and he was really proud of it. And maybe that is a Yaz problem. Maybe it's a Rodon problem. But Kopech was the same way. He's very one-dimensional.
0: And you know what it could be, Ed, is it could also be, like we said at the beginning of the show, it's a, it's a team makeup problem. It's a veteran Problem. It's a person with more post-season experience problem because that team has been around for years in the postseason, and they're smart and they're veterans.
1: Five straight league championship series is, is going to do that to you. Right, yeah. and
0: and here's the thing, and I go back to what when whenever you go to SoxFest and they they bring somebody out to talk about the 05, right? They're like, oh, remember when El Duque got all three guys in Boston? And the story's always told that he looked at all these players and he's like, Boston, all they're trying to do is this and I'm just going to do this, and I'm just going to get them all out. And that, uh, and yeah. it, just the idea that he knew, and, and we lack that. That's something that is lacking on this team that needs to be found.
1: What the Sox lack, though, is they lack multidimensional pitchers. Every single one of their pitchers went either to one or two pitches the entire series, okay? And it doesn't take very long for a good team to figure that out. Lance Lynn threw all but two Pitches were fastballs. And I know he cuts and I know he does two seamers and sinkers and all that stuff and moves it around, but it's still, it's all fastball with him. And he didn't adjust his game plan to try and sit there and say, I know these guys are a fastball hitting team. I don't care if the curveball that I throw sucks. I don't care if my changeup is terrible. I'm going to show it. Lucas Giolito went away from what he had been doing, which was trying to establish his slider. And I looked at Brooks baseball to confirm this, and and it's true. He went back to being a fastball changeup guy in that game against the Astros, which was, you know, makes him extremely predictable. When you only have to choose between two pitches, a good hitting team is going to figure that out. Kopech, fastball, slider. Tapera, fastball, slider. Rodan was throwing his slider. He wasn't throwing his curveball at all. He didn't throw a single curveball in that game. He threw only a couple of changeups from, you know, from the looks of it. And it was just basically, I'm going back to the heat and then I'm going to use the slider a little bit. And then in game three, when the Sox were really effective, if you think about it, partially because Cease blew up early on, but it was a bullpen game. Nobody had a chance to establish any kind of a pattern, but everybody else in that team, it's a, they're, they're two pitch pitchers. And when you talk about El Duque, right, you want to talk about what he was able to do. What was El Duque's big thing was he had a multitude of pitches. Mark Burley had his cutter, his changeup, and a breaking ball. Uh, you know, Contreras could use the split finger fastball in a number of different ways. That splitter, he could he could use it like a curveball and get strikes, or he could use it as a wipeout pitch like a slider. He had different looks on it. John Garland had three pitches. He had a, he had and same thing with Freddie Garcia. All the White Sox pitchers become really really easy to predict because they just went to two pitches basically, and if they're not spotting which they were, like, Tapera was really good because he was spotting. He was getting his fastball in the right spot, and then he was using his slider as the put-away pitch, but he was throwing it well, right? He wasn't grounding it into the dirt. He was getting it off the corner. He was getting guys to chase. That's why he was so effective in the four innings that he pitched. Kopech couldn't get the slider over. He's not throwing it for strikes, which he needs to do. And if he's going to be a starter, he's going to have to figure out a third pitch. If they bring back Carlos Rodon... Rodan's going to have to figure out a way to get ground ball out. So that was the one thing that I never felt like the White Sox pitchers were trying to do or were able to do. And this is almost all season long. But when Rodon is facing Correa there, I know, and you know, and Correa damn well knows that he's going for the K because he is not looking to induce a ground ball. He is not trying to get the guy to turn over on a changeup. He is not trying to bury a slider in on him. He is trying to throw it past him. Kopech was trying to throw it past everybody. Crochet was trying to throw it past everybody. They can't do that. They have to have guys. And and it it was probably supposed to be Dallas Keuchel, but I would love to see them, rather than fit Kopech into that rotation, I would love to see them go out and get two starters who, like Lance McCullers, can throw three pitches consistently or have Giolito figures, his slider out, have Rodon, if he comes back, figure something out. And then I do think Cease will be better because he's got the curve, the slider and the fastball. I think the moment just got too big for him. He needs to get his head straight, but I think he'll be okay. And Lance Lynn is Lance Lynn at this point. I'm not going to complain about Lance Lynn, but the way the team is constructed, the way Rick Hahn put this together, you have guys who are trying to blow it past everybody who have one pitch that, that isn't a fastball, whatever it is, they have their one pitch that they try and play off of and against lousy teams during the regular season on the whole, that is going to be super successful. You're going to strike a ton of guys out. You are going to blow past teams like the pirates. You're going to blow past teams like the Royals who are are trying out triple A players to see who's going to stick in their lineup and maybe have one or two good players there. But you get against an Astros team that is young, that is very good, that has the league's best, you know, the league's top hitter from an average standpoint, uh, the league's runner up from an average standpoint, has a very well-balanced lineup, has been to the LCS now five straight years, which is a no small feat. It's only been done one other time. And you cannot be this narrow no. with how it is. So I don't know if I don't even know if Yaz had the ability to call pitches. Because all he had was two to work with. I you know that's gotta be addressed. And maybe that's an Ethan Katz problem too. You know, maybe maybe that's that's having a guy who's basically been a high school pitching coach who's great mechanically, but I wonder if there's a game plan issue going on within the the on the bench that whether it's Yaz or Collins or you know Sebi or your mean that they're not going to be able to address because you just don't have an El Duque, you don't have a Burley, you don't have a Freddie Garcia who's got multiple things you can throw at someone.
0: There are so many questions with this team in the off season. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is addressing each and every one of them and talking about them with you. Socks in the basement is going to be around all off season long, and we're going to be changing our release dates. I like the consistency of putting them out on the same day all the time, but we're going to be changing not this week because we got this one out a little bit late, but starting next Tuesday, we're going to a Tuesday, Friday release. We've noticed just talking to fans and looking at the uh, the way that people listen to the show and consume it, and uh, first of all, thank you so much. Hundreds of thousands of individual, non-repeated Absolutely. downloads, complete downloads this year. And Thanks, it, everybody. You guys killed it, and you thank you so much for supporting us and supporting those that support us with their advertisements on this show. It keeps the show alive, allows us to do a lot more things, but we've noticed when looking at the downloads that On Saturdays, we have a weekend crowd, and then we have people that just don't get to it till Monday, and it's this weird little wavy line of downloads. And I'm like, those people are getting in like two days late. Let's give it to them all early, and then if you want to consume it on the weekend or consume it on Friday on the way back and forth to work, you you have that option. So we're going to go Tuesday, Friday starting next week, but we'll be out still two days a week. And we have this massive giveaway. $1,000 to the fan that brings in the best guest of the offseason, the biggest name. The the person that we're just shocked Within to have sitting or outside here, outside
1: of baseball, just yeah, the biggest the biggest the biggest person you can find not physically, but just you know in terms of popularity, in terms of of being known. It is the Socks in the Basement Guest
0: Bounty, and you get $1,000 at the end of the offseason. We'll award it in March to the best one that gets uh, put out there. We'll we'll have finalists, and we'll allow listeners to vote so it's nice and fair as to who ends up with the $1,000. So that's going to be a blast, and it's all brought to you by Elite Benefits of America. Uh, They... They do some really great stuff for small and mid-sized businesses, employers feeling it every day, health insurance premiums skyrocketing out of control, and they're trying their hardest to make sure that you can provide the best health insurance coverage to your employees and also lower the cost a little bit. Make yourself the employer of choice. Don't lose your employees. Give them the best possible things. and, and Do it for small and mid market companies. Go to elitebenefits.net. Reach out to Butch Zemar over there. He's a great guy. He does a podcast on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. And he's the guy giving me the thousand bucks to give to you. But that is what we're doing this offseason. The Sox in the Basement thousand dollar guest bounty. And I've already heard some people who have thrown names out there that they're like, I'm getting this guy, I'm getting that guy. I guess Pat McGann is a big, like, White Sox fan. And I already heard from a listener while we were at Cork and Carey at the Park who already heard about this contest when we talked about it previously, who's like, I know Pat, I'll get him on the show. I want to see who people are going to get on this show that we've never had on before that, like, you know, could be anything. Like I said, he's a big Sox fan, but he's not with the organization. Wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden, like, we get Larusa? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know right, who people yeah. know. You know, I don't know who people know, but this is basically like do you know a guy? That guy can make you a thousand dollars if you get him on socks in the basement. It's the easiest way to explain the thousand dollar guest bounty. And technically I guess it starts now because the off season has begun. I don't know when we'll get the first guest in here, but I'm giving you an Right. You have you have all off season to get in on that, and we have all off season to dissect the White Sox.
1: And we have and we will we we will make them we will turn them into a frog in your seventh grade science class.
0: I know. Well, here's the thing. I think you've hit on a few things there. And I feel the same way. And I don't think everybody believes that there are people are like, oh, you only have to make this little tweak or that little tweak. Be bold. You know, you're right there. You need some you know diversity in terms of how your pitchers work. You need you need to find. You know, maybe a veteran or two or somebody that has, you know, you know, is going to to become a bigger star in the postseason. I mean, Luis Robert, I thought they had a really great postseason until like game four where he kind of disappeared. OK, uh, you well, know, Tim yeah, Anderson, and, and
1: maybe maybe he's more hurt than, you know, it, 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 it. when he was pulled, I'm like, all right. The first thing that went in my mind was that hip, the, the hip just went again and and he, he can't do it, and the game's over anyway, and Tony's like, I'm not going to have this guy have to have surgery because right. you know, he goes to leg out a ground ball. I was just happy that Adam Engel hadn't been old Gellard because I was worried after after the Cesar Hernandez pinch hit in game two that, that, <laughs> that they'd just it. take an Engel out back and been like, you were a good friend to me, well, and then a- that was it.
0: Adam Engel is one of many that are available for arbitration decisions. The White Sox have seven. We're going to talk about it on the next show. Evan Marshall, Brian Goodwin, Lucas Diolito, Adam Engel, Reynaldo Lopez, Jace Fry, and Jimmy Cordero. You have to decide if you're going to offer them arbitration. You've got options you have to decide on. I mean, supposedly it sounds like that they're going to, we're already seeing reports today that they're going to pick up Craig Kimbrell's option, but try to trade him.
1: And I think he's got value. I I think he's got value, even though he kind of, biffed it down the stretch
0: and like i said you know fire cesar hernandez into the sun don't pick up his option and find something better at second base there are things that we can talk about there i i would hope that the collective bargaining agreement thing goes smoothly but you don't really expect it to
1: yeah i, I mean there's a lot to to talk about in an offseason where you know even though we, we may sound like we're complaining you know and and we may sound ungrateful for what the Sox provided us this year. I, I, nothing could be further from the truth in my mind.
0: Oh, I enjoy the season, but I know that they're not a World Series team until they do something
1: else. Right, and that's, that's all this is, is. is All we're saying is, uh, you know, thank you, White Sox, for giving us a really great 2021 and, and giving us something to do during this baseball season that we haven't had in a long time, which is look forward to the playoffs and look forward to what will it take for them to get to the World Series. But we now know that what they have isn't it, and there are some things that Rick Hahn can do to make this team better, and I it's worth exploring. And it's it's not that doesn't make it a criticism of the team, and it doesn't make it a criticism of any of the individual players. It's just a fact, man. The Astros expose the fact that there's a difference between a team like that that is well constructed and you can, you know, again, holding their history aside and all that stuff. And I'm sure we'll get calls saying, well, eh, but they cheated their way to it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know.
0: They didn't cheat to beat us this year. No, they didn't need to cheat to beat us up.
1: You're looking at a team that is young and constructed the way the White Sox want to be constructed. And, th- and that's what we're talking about, right? We're, we're looking forward to that. And and then, yes, the business of baseball, you know, we'll dive into that without, you know, without batting an eye, because that's going to be very important to the, to the White Sox team and White Sox fandom as well. Uh, because if this had happened if the collective bargaining stuff comes up while they're in the middle of the rebuild you know I, it's it's far less damaging than uh, what could happen when you are in the middle of uh, a window of contention like this
0: remember subscribe anywhere podcast can be found go to saxonbasement.com put your email in you'll get email alerts throughout the year and we are not leaving you not for a moment uh, we'll be through the uh, postseason with you we'll be we'll be for the rest of the other teams we'll start talking about what we're gonna do with the white Sox uh, we are available to you. Reach out, say hi. Uh, I don't know how much I'll be on Twitter we'll in the next couple days. in with you days. for the
1: weekend. Yeah, I mean, um,
0: I'm, I'm going to try to cut back on my tweeting. That's the one thing I'm going to do. I, <laughs> yeah. I need a break from it. And my little sister yelled at me. It was like, while well, you're angry, don't tweet. And she's right. But when I'm angry, don't tweet. Okay, just like
1: take a breath. I'd say I'd cut back on my <laughs> tweeting, but I, I, I hardly tweet anyway. Maybe I'm not angry enough. I, I think that's the problem. I, I need to like... Get like big green shirt ripping mad, and then I tweet. Because isn't that what you have to do? Don't you have to show a certain amount of anger to get verified as a Twitter account?
0: I think that's what you have to do. You have to be angry and irrational.
1: Anger or boobs? I think that's all you need. One of those two. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement.